Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Clones, welcome to the Daily Jungle. Big, big day today, starting with the return of number 12. Aaron Rodgers is back and just in time for the Packers to try to make another playoff run. Plus, Mike Tomlin opened up about their rivalry with the Patriots, addressing the elephant in the room that Tom Brady owns the Steelers. Also, we had a big day on the phones. Deneen called in and laid down a fire take on Aaron Rodgers' return. Broadway Vic ripped the huge call, or he would have had I not run out of time. Then you got Florida State head basketball coach Leonard Hamilton back in the jungle. Boise State football coach Brian Harson joined the program before taking on Oregon in the Las Vegas Bowl. And Army football coach Jeff Munkin made his jungle debut after beating Navy for the second straight season. Lots to get done. Alvy, go ahead and do what you do then. The Daily Jungle starts right now. For weeks, it has been a distinct possibility. A possibility and a thought. Thought being that something might happen. If everything fell into place and everything worked out well, the Green Bay Packers might get a shot. They might get Aaron Rodgers back. You know, it seemed like a dream. Everything had to play out perfectly and fall into place. But then last night, it became official. Aaron Rodgers is back. Nearly two months to the day that he broke his collarbone against Minnesota. And less than two months since he had 13 screws inserted into his clavicle, he posted the following on Instagram. It's been a long road from that day to this, but I'm happy to say I have been medically cleared to return. Thanks for all the love, support, prayers, and well wishes over the past eight weeks. And a big thank you to Dr. McKenzie and our incredible training staff. Hashtag Rise again. So as you might imagine, Packer fan is lit. Everybody else in the NFC is concerned. They've got to be. Because the Packers are not dead. In fact, they're just the opposite. They're still alive and now they're dangerous. Because as every last Packer fan will tell you, he's done this before. Back in 2013, remember, he broke his left collarbone. The team went 2-4-1 without him. He comes back on the final day, needing a win to reach the playoffs, and he throws the game-winning touchdown in the final minute. So Aaron Rodgers, playing again this season, relied on two big things. Number one, a quick recovery. And number two, the Packers staying in it and staying afloat while he was down. And they promptly lost the game that he was injured in, and then the next two and four of their first five without him. Now I got to admit, at that point, I was thinking there really is no reason in him coming back. Shut him down completely. Get him ready for next season. But you know that's not what Aaron Rodgers was thinking. And then the team did give him a chance by grinding out ugly wins over Tampa and Cleveland in overtime. But again, it doesn't matter how it looks. Just give this guy a chance to do everything he can to get back. So if you're looking to rip a wild card spot in the NFC, now you do have to deal with the pack. Rodgers and the Packers are like that zombie that just will not die. Speaking of zombies, did you listen to the Dirty John podcast? I'll reset that for you a little bit later on. But that's what he is. He's a zombie, Aaron Rodgers, that you can't kill. He's Freddy, Jason, Dracula, and the T-1000 all rolled into one. And now the monster that you should have killed when you had a chance is back. The Packers were not supposed to be here. Aaron Rodgers was not supposed to be here. And now, here they are. Here the bleep they are. Here we are. Here the f*** we are. 
But as hard as it is, or was, to stay afloat until Rodgers could come back, that actually was the easy part. Now comes the even tougher part. The last three games, at Carolina, home against Minnesota, and then at Detroit. Three teams with a combined 26-13 and 13 record, and they're all ahead of Green Bay for a playoff spot. I mean, in effect, it's a murderer's row of a schedule. The cliche is always that the playoffs really start before the playoffs, but the playoffs have already started for the Packers. They aren't facing the Bucks and the Browns. They're facing the Panthers, Vikings, and Lions, and they're going to need every bit of Rodgers' freakery to get them in. And they're going to need it right away. There's no tomato can to stick in front of him. There's no tune-up fight before the big fight. He's got to show up as peak Aaron Rodgers after missing several weeks with a busted collarbone. This very second. And by the way, his second busted collarbone. But I'm here to say this. This guy's done some amazing things in his Hall of Fame career. A Super Bowl. Two MVPs. The Hail Mary against Detroit. The laser to Jared Cook against the Cowboys. The play clock down to three. Rodgers spins to his left, comes underneath, and the pass is incomplete, out of bounds. Now they say complete. The official, the second one, came in and overruled the other, Jared Cook, and with three seconds left, the Packers are going to have a chance to win it. That is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Wow. The throw that Rodgers is able to make, moving to his left. Unbelievable. 36 yards on third and 20. You remember that play? Nobody else is making that throw. But then the guy's made a career of doing things that nobody else can even imagine doing. But having said all that, if he's able to come back from a busted collarbone again and lead them into the playoffs for a second time, that might be his greatest accomplishment. Yeah, I said it. And I know he's got a Super Bowl ring and two MVP trophies. But that's just how ridiculous that schedule and this challenge is. To roll out of the rack in December and rattle off three straight wins against playoff-caliber teams, two of them on the road. It's so ridiculous that if it were any other quarterback, I'd say, yeah, it's a nice story, but they've got no shot. But I'm not saying that with Aaron Rodgers, because he does make the ridiculous seem normal. Oh, and if he does do this, if he does pull this off, if he does get them into the postseason, then look the hell out. Because at that point, anything is possible. possible! Anything would be. One game at a time, but the good news is he did what he had to do to put himself in this position. He's been medically cleared. 1-800-636-8686. First email through on topic. Rome, Rogers is back after two months and 13 screws? I can't even put 13 screws in a birdhouse without it falling apart in five minutes. And this dude is going to take an NFL field? Why do I feel like these dudes will be on the road throughout the playoffs and Aaron will find some lopsided super throw to dagger every home team out of the playoffs? Shane and SLO. Sort of what I'm talking about here. He's got a lot of work to do. And I'm not sure that I would even consider it possible for anybody but this guy. And it is a long shot. But if anybody can do it, he can do it. And if somehow he gets them in, that is not a team you want to run into. Look the hell out. Leonard Hamilton is my guest. Leonard, it's great to have you back on. How are you? Hello, Jim. How are you doing? Doing great, Coach. How about you? How are things? Uh, things are moving along pretty good this early in the season. Uh, kids gotten off to a pretty good start. And the good thing about this team, we're not even having come close to reaching our potential. So 
we seem to be in a pretty good place now. That's how it looks to me, too. I'm going to talk about the upside in a minute for the club, but you beat Tulane 72-53 to on Sunday. That's a game where you were really moving the ball well in the second half. You got some good looks. You hit nearly 60% of your shots. So what do you make of how your team worked on the offensive end in the second half of that win? Well, we, we did not get off to a good start on the offensive end in the first half. The ball was sticking a little bit. On the first um, nine possessions, I think we might have made 18 passes, which is not good enough with the kind of system that we are making. I thought we shot the ball a little quick, kind of didn't get off to a good start. I thought we, we, we adjusted. So I think what we are doing is we have a little game slippage from time to time. We play against Florida, and we thought we moved the ball real well. The next game, we, we didn't move it quite as well. But that just shows that we're still young. I have, I have nine, about eight kids that are first- and second-year players. Well, the cake's still in the oven. We're still developing a little bit. Uh, but I think that our guys are coachable. They responded very well. We did a much better job the second half. Florida State coach Leonard Hamilton's my guest. You mentioned Florida. That 9-0 start includes an 83-66 to win over Florida, who was number five, and you did it in their place. You out-rebounded them 51-34. to You outscored them 36-20 in the paint. You forced 17 turnovers. In other words, that about is, is about as impressive a win as any team has had so far this year. How pleased were you with your guys that night? Well, we've shown signs uh, in this game of being capable of doing that. We did put a pretty complete game together against Florida, but that's what most young teams do. They're somewhat inconsistent. You know, they'll play well in spurts, but in order for us to prepare ourselves for the ACC race that is going to be another dogfight, we've got to become consistent with all those things. You know, after that game, though, there was a nice celebration in the locker room. As a coach, you've won a lot of big games in your career. A lot of coaches talk about how losing is heartbreaking, winning is merely a relief. But when you win a game like that, and especially if you've got a young team, do you let them enjoy it a little bit more? Do you let yourself enjoy it a little bit more, or are you immediately on to the next game? Well, we allowed them to, you know, to, to enjoy themselves in the locker room. And there's a lot of chatter on the bus, but be very honest with you, we can't get too excited when you're in the ACC about a victory like that. That's what we're supposed to do. we got to act like we've done that before, and that's what we expect to do every night out. This bunch kind of buys in. Uh, they're coachable. They, we have good, great chemistry. They like playing these two, with each other, and they're allowing us to coach them. So I don't think we have a chemistry problem, and we, don't necessarily, we won't necessarily have any letdowns. At least we haven't shown any signs of it because we've been working on trying to be mentally and emotionally prepared since the beginning of the season. Can you give me a quick second so I can talk to you about Stamps.com? Listen, these days, you can get practically everything on demand, such as our podcast. Listen whenever you want, when it's convenient for you. So let me ask you, why are you still going to the post office and dealing with their limited hours? When you can get postage on demand with Stamps.com. Anything that you can do at the post office, you can now do right from your desk. As an example, the holidays are coming up. My wife, Janet, is all about the Christmas card. We send out hundreds, literally hundreds of Christmas cards, and there's no way we could do it without Stamps.com. I'm going to print my own postage. I'm going to do it when I want and do it at home. Trust me, with the holidays coming up, you should do the exact same thing, and you'll thank me for it. Go to Stamps.com, hit the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Jungle. That's Stamps.com, enter Jungle for a special, special offer. A four-week trial, which includes postage and a digital scale. Do not wait. You want to go to Stamps.com, and before you do anything else, hit the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Jungle. That's Stamps.com, enter Jungle. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office ever again. I know I won't. That's Stamps.com. 
Now it's back to our daily jungle. Yeah, chemistry is interesting because it's something that a number of players on the team have talked about, and it's one of those things that people talk about when things are going either really well or really badly. When you're recruiting, can you recruit for chemistry? I think we try to, you know, but but for the most part, when you're dealing with young people, Jim, a lot of it's an educational process because they all come to school and they are the top players on their high school team, and they're required to go out and make major contributions night in and night out if they if their team else their teams can't win. So when they come to college now, you're asking them to blend in instead of being the man, be one of one of the guys. And sometimes that's a little challenging when you have people who care a lot about them, who watch them play in high school and in AAU ball, and they expect them to pick up where they left off in high school, and it's just not that way. And sometimes that adjustment is, is, is challenging for our youngsters. Many times they, the, the parents will be saying, he just don't seem like himself. Well, he's not. You know, he's, he, 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 he's, not, he's not real comfortable because he's learning and things are not habit. And most of the time, as the kids buy into that, they understand. And we spend a lot of time talking about those things behind closed doors, and our guys seem to be connected pretty good, and we seem to be developing strong, strong chemistry. Leonard Hamilton joining us. You know, it seems to me when you lay it out like that, it seems to me that when you get a young kid who comes in and plays at that level in that conference, it's all going to be challenging enough for all the reasons you just mentioned. They've got to make sacrifices. They have to make adjustments. But to that other part, when there are so many other voices in their ear, be it social media, be it a parent, be it a family member, be it AAU, how challenging is it to get their attention to focus on your message instead of every other message that people are trying to put before them? It's a lot more challenging than probably meets the eye. But what we try to do is deal with it head on. We peel back the onion. We talk about it. We be pacific. You know, we, we, we talk about the challenge of doing that. So we try to give them the tools to understand that it's people who care the most about them, but, but they, they're not in this situation. And we, 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 we try to have exercises in, in a, a, such a direct level of communication that the, we seem to have found a way to communicate with them where we don't disrespect the people who have been responsible for them up to this point, and we try to educate our players as to how to deal with it and then understand how unique and special you have to be to be able to balance all of this out. And our guys uh, have bought in. Now, so you've got family and you've got friends, you've got people that love them, have their best interests at heart, and it might not the message might not be consistent with what you and your staff has. But then that's different than, for instance, social media. How do you approach social media? How do you let how do you advise them in terms of using it, consuming it, and going forward with social media? We t- we, we we I tell you, Jim, we just try to deal with things openly and honestly. And there's enough mistakes going on. Uh, around the country in, in every profession and they're all walks of life for us to have a, enough material to put in front of them to show them the pitfalls and the mistakes that people make. And so we're constantly addressing it. And I think we minimize the negative effect because we are not putting our heads in the sand and we talk, almost talk about it on a daily and regular basis. In other words, communication is key. Leonard Hamilton joining us. Now, last year you won 26 games, and then you lost three leading scorers, 
four starters and a total of five key contributors, but you have not taken a step back. In fact, as I mentioned, you're undefeated, and it's generated a lot of surprise outside the program. But are you surprised, or did you know you had something special in the returning players, especially the members of the Boom Squad? Well, there's no doubt that the Boom Squad, the guys who came off the bench last year, had made did they, they had major contributions uh, to our team, and I think that was kind of minimized on a public basis because of the recognition that that, that our senior, I mean that our, our, our uh, that Isaac and Bacon and and, and Mays and Ojo and Jacquez got, and so people automatically thought that we would take a step back because we're not one of those those regular traditional successful historical basketball programs that have been in the forefront for the last 65 or 70 years. We kind of a program that's kind of a come, a come, uh, done to come lately to the basketball world. And so people have a tendency every year in the preseason to predict that the guys who have been there all along will step right back up to the year. And those guys who make those predictions don't have to be held accountable. So you forget, <laughs> you forget about them as to where they pick, but we expected this. We expected to have a good season, but we, we but we're we're realistic. This is the beginning of the season. Uh, we've gotten off to a pretty good start, and but in another the three four games from now, our first game on the road this year will be at Duke. Our second game will be Carolina. Our third game will be Miami. The fourth game will be Duke. I mean, I'm sorry, will be uh, Louisville and Syracuse. So we know that we are preparing for murderous row just like we did last year when our first six games in the conference was against all top 25-ranked teams. We're talking to Leonard Hamilton for a few more moments. Let me ask you about one of your upperclassmen, Terrence Mann. He went from averaging about 8.5 points per game last year to nearly 16 per game this year. What do you make of how he has stepped up when the opportunity presented itself? I think it's the improvement of our execution of the system. Last year we had what you call some guys who we consider go-to guys. This year, we are the go-to guy on this team is the guy with the highest percentage shot. And we, we've tried to convince them that we did not have Dwayne, but we have a team of guys that are capable of scoring and doing some positive things. But in order for us to do that, we had to move the ball and move our body, and then we had to read and make good decisions. And I think because of the execution of offense, Terrence has been able to take advantage uh, of the opportunities that are presented because we're executing better as opposed to maybe concentrating on going to this one or two people. Yeah, right, and then the system, right? Then they get to know the system, they grow in the system, they learn the system. Look, he's not the only member of the Boom Squad who's taken his game to another level. And for all the hype in college basketball about freshmen and one and dunce, and look, I don't care who you are, what your system is, who the coach is, you don't win without talent. But for all the hype about the one and dunce, how valuable is it to have guys who are in the program for a number of years who just keep getting better and better? Well, there's no doubt. Phil Kofer is one of those guys. Uh, he's been in the program, had some injuries he's had to overcome. He stepped in right now, r- r- stepped in and, and making major contributions. Chris Kamaji, our 747, who's kind of on the men for a little foot injury, he has gone from a guy who's just shooting almost close to 60% from the floor uh, and blocking shots. Uh, we, it, it was, and you got a guy, uh, uh, C.J. Walker and Trent Forrest, uh, guys who are making major contributions to our team who people knew very little about. And then we have MJ Walker, a freshman, uh, that, that, that's coming in, and he's finding his way. And I, I expect before the ACC uh, play starts 
that he's going to be a, a guy who's being more more consistent. All right, before I let you go, you did kick off the season with the annual Jam with Ham. Last year, you broke out that legendary multicolored suit that was one of the greatest I have ever seen, which we did talk about at that time. How did you go about picking your look for this year, and how would you describe the result? Well, I, I would say this. Uh, my, I'm not going to wear any more platform heels. I know exactly how women feel now with high heels. Right. Uh, my feet were hurting. And uh, my wife didn't particularly like that. I can't tell you what she said I looked like. And she said I was embarrassing the family. But all the fans <laughs> seemed to like it except my wife. Happy wife, happy life. And isn't that what matters, right? I mean, how many things do we do that we think that we, think that we don't want to do and that we know are wrong but keep doing because the wife says so? <laughs> i tell you what. I've been, I've been looking through my costume for next year with Jam and Coach Ham. I think I'm going to have to tone it down a little bit. <laughs> or dial it up. Or dial it up. Maybe go the other way with it. <laughs> Deneen. Deneen, good morning. How are you? I'm great. What's up, Vance Mack? What's up, Deneen? I'm great, too. Um, my take is I'm really happy that Aaron Rodgers is coming back. That what what has inspired me to actually call today. It will actually be good because the NFL needs it to bring it up, and his team is going to play harder for him. Like, Clay Matthews is not going to let anyone touch him. They've already been doing great without him so far. So as far as that, I think that's going to be great. I'm not a Green Bay fan, but I'm a sports fan, and I'm a do-the-right-thing fan. So I think Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay has always done the right thing, and I think that they deserve it. Nice job, Deneen. Thank you very much. Good to hear your voice. Well, Deneen, now I, I hate to break the news. Unless they move Clay Matthews to the offensive line, I'm not sure what he can do to protect Aaron Rodgers. Brian Harson is my guest. Brian, so good to have you on. How are you? Jim, I'm doing well. Thanks for having us. It's good to have you on. Thanks so much. You arrived in Las Vegas. I know you're getting ready to face Oregon on Saturday. So what does the rest of your day look like today, and how ready are you for the bowl game itself? Well, we got meetings going on right now, and then uh, we get on the bus, hit the practice, uh, practice, come back, watch the film, and then we got a little event tonight uh, with Oregon on Fremont Street. So a little uh, steak dinner at the Outback, uh, have some fun tonight, and Really, football in the morning and then uh, some activities in the evening uh, and trying to get some game planning done at the same time. So, you know, guys are doing a great job. The ball always does a fantastic job here, and you know, we're just looking forward to Saturday and getting ready to play again. Actually, that sounds great. That sounds like a business trip, but it sounds like a business mm-hmm. trip. It's going to be fun with a great experience, go old school with Fremont Street. I like that. Now, if we were to go back to November 25th, you faced Fresno State at their place. You lost a tough one, 28-17. to So what was the mood like in the locker room and among the players after that game, knowing that you were going to face them again in a week for the conference championship? Well, we went there <clears> – <throat> We went there to win the game, and so certainly the mood was not what we wanted it to be. And and the bottom line was, what are we going to learn from it? And we really looked at that game as uh, an extended halftime, eight quarters of football. How do we come back in, in this next game and play better than we did in the first one? And you know, how what do we learn from? We got a week to prepare and get ourselves ready to go, you know, for the championship game. So uh, we had to flip the script and, and just get on to the next part of it and the next phase and get our guys ready. And they had a great week, and they did. They came out. <clears throat> Fresno's a good football team. We had them at home. Uh, but we were able to, to find a way, really in the last five minutes of the game, uh, to win the turnover battle, get some momentum, and, and win the championship You know, after playing those guys back-to-back. So interesting setup, but at the same time, I thought our guys handled it well. They understood uh, what we needed to do from the first one to the second one. They were able to get it done. 
Brian Harson joining us. You know, in terms of that game itself, when you played them in that game, you fell behind, and then quarterback Brett Rippon led a 90-yard drive in the fourth quarter that gave you the lead for good. He had struggled earlier in the season, so how proud were you of the way that he responded and came through when you needed it most and on a big stage like that? Yeah, well, I think that's kind of been his season. You know, early on in the Washington State game, uh, he was knocked out of that game. Uh, Montel came and started the next one, and you know, Brett got himself back into it, especially in conference play. Uh, you know, early on, just built his way into the finish that he had against Fresno, and I thought it was just, uh, you know, fitting for him to have that drive, to go 95, to, to hit a big play, to lead the team down there, uh, and really gain the momentum uh, in the last five minutes of it and find a way to get our team and everybody else energized to finish. Uh, we were able to do it. So really his season, uh, I think his leadership, uh, I think him overcoming adversity. You know, he's learned more this year uh, than he's learned every any year, and I think he's a guy that showed his leadership, and that was a huge part of the of why we had the success that we did. You know, in terms of leadership and leading from the front, when you see what he's overcome and you see how resilient he is, how tough he is, all those intangible things are they infectious, and do they rub off on the other players? No question. Uh, I think he and he's not the only one, but I think a lot of guys. But his story. Uh, with the season he had, um, what he's overcome, uh, his ability to adapt, having Montel Cozart in there as a guy that's helping us uh, in games, you know, in the unselfish attitude, it absolutely does. Uh, the teams see that, especially from your quarterback, and, and everybody knows that it really is about the team. It really is about, you know, finding ways to go out there collectively as a group and win. And when you've got a guy like that who's unselfish uh, and brings that to the table as one of your leaders in that position, uh, I think it definitely rubs off on the team. Boise State head football coach Brian Harson joining us. You know, right after that game, the championship game, you knew exactly how long it had been since you had last won a Mountain West championship. <laughs> 1,091 days, which goes back to 2014. Now, for most programs, that's not a long time at all. But when you're the head coach at Boise State and you know the expectations that come along with that, does it feel like an eternity? Well, it did. And... You know, like nobody was counting, right? Right. The exact right. Days. We had told the team that, hey, it's been this long. And, and we had guys on this team that played in that 14 championship. And so they were hungry. And they talked about it. They talked about how good it feels to be on that podium and to win that trophy. And so, you know, every single year, that's the goal. Regardless of the expectations, our goal in the program is to be in that conference championship game and find a way to win it. And we were in it. We put ourselves in that position, and we found a way to win it. And so, you know, for our guys, uh, the senior group, but for the guys coming back, you know, to know that uh, it doesn't happen every year. No matter what we say or what the expectations are, it's really hard to get to that point. So take advantage of it. And, and I thought our guys did. And hopefully in the future, the team coming back, they know how hard it is to get there and how many days we had in between those championship games. And the goal was to get ourselves back in there next year, and we got to figure out a way to do that. You know, I think to put this in proper perspective and better explain it, I'm not sure too many people outside the program know this stat, but it's amazing. We're talking now about a program that is second only to Alabama in terms of wins over the past 10 years. It's an amazing accomplishment, and that winning has continued for such a long time, it's almost taken for granted now. But when you first arrived at Boise State as a player back in the day, could you ever have imagined a scenario where we'd be talking about Boise State and Alabama in the same breath? <laughs> well, no, not, not when I was a player. We were, you know, I had a season uh, where we were 2-8 and eight, uh, my sophomore year. And then Dirk Cutter comes in, and we, we kind of build ourselves into – 
uh, winning a championship my senior year. And Boise State's always had success. There's been five losing seasons since the 30s. Uh, but as far as what's happened, you know, since 2000 or the last 10 years, uh, you know, it just goes back to, you know, our players, our program, the people, the vision for the program and where we want to be, uh, to be in this position. And, and the goal now is, is not to maintain. The goal is to continue to find ways to get better and have success and try to be better than we've, we've been in the past and not make it the good old days, make the good old days right now and, and try to start uh, growing our program even more. I like that, Brian Harson, my guest. You got a bowl game coming up in Vegas. Before you left for Las Vegas, you had the team's final practice at home, and then you closed that out by having the seniors carried off the field. What is the thinking behind that, and what is this senior class in particular meant to you and the program? Yeah, well, well the thought behind that, uh, last time on the blue, and to take those guys out in style, they've earned it uh, for their players and their units to carry them off uh, as champions this year in particular, um, but also as a respect factor of if you're able to make it through the pro, that's any program, not not just ours, but you're able to make it four or five years and you're going to graduate. You, you have a couple championships. Um, you played some really good football. You've won over 40 games as a senior class. Uh, you deserve it. And so it's really about respect for those guys. Uh, it's about respect from the younger players for the seniors. And, and this class in particular, you know, they've won over 40 games. Uh, these guys, a lot of them were in that first championship year when we took over in that Fiesta Bowl. And they've done nothing but keep fighting to get back into that position. And they did this year. And so I think it's a, a group that has led us to where we are right now. I think it's a group that is going to continue to lead when they're gone as examples for the young guys they've been a part of. And hopefully that uh, because of this class, we have continued success, and we continue to put ourselves in those championship games. And the seniors-to-be, uh, look at how this class uh, led, how this class, the examples uh, that they had for the rest of the guys, and, and to continue that moving forward. You know, Brian, before I let you go, one quick thought, a follow-up to that. And as fans, I think we don't really understand this. We just watch the game. We enjoy the game. But if you're a senior... And in a lot of cases, it might be the last football game you ever play. Certainly the last football game you're going to play with the guys who are your brothers in the trenches. What's that like for a young guy knowing that he's going to take the field maybe for the last time? Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's kind of that ambiance drill that we talk about you know, in our program is, is go out there, uh, absorb it, take it all in. Uh, you got to go play a game. Uh, but, you know, I think football ends – for everybody at some point. We talk about that all the time. And, and it doesn't always end on your time, even if you play in the NFL. But just take advantage of every moment. Uh, enjoy the practices. Enjoy every opportunity and meetings because you're not going to really have this type of experience you know, any other time in your life. And uh, I think our guys do that. And that's something for when they show up to when they finish um, that we try to talk about. And I think our guys do a really good job, this class in particular, and – you know, their focus and the reason why I think we're having fun and, and having success is because they all truly understand that 2017 Boise State will end after this game against Oregon. And then, you know, those guys, if they have a chance to continue, uh, great. If not, they're going to be successful in, in other areas of their lives. A couple of huge matchups in the NFL this weekend. You've got the AFC West possibly being determined. Chargers at Kansas City on Saturday night. And you've got the Steelers-Patriots, a game that we've all been looking forward to. Even Mike Tomlin. It's Wednesday. We're four days out. And you know NFL coaches get when it comes to big games. They just shut it down. 
They shut it down. They go into their total bunker mode, and they filibuster their press conferences, fill them with cliches about winning the day, about taking practice one day at a time, about reminding everybody that football is a game played with three facets, offense, defense, and special teams. In other words, they don't say jack. They try to get us to go away. And I love that filibuster thing. That's one of my favorite strategies. I once had Todd Haley on the show when I was at ESPN, and he came on, and this cat, he was unbelievable, head coach at the time. I'm not even kidding. In an eight-minute interview, I think I asked him two questions, and he was going on and on and on. It was on satellite, and I couldn't really get in, and it was, it was a strategy. It was not one of those guys that he was not aware. He didn't know what he was doing. He liked the sound of his own voice. Literally, it was a strategy. He knew the longer he spoke, the fewer opportunities I would have to actually ask him a question. This is what these guys do. They go one of two ways. They either answer very short and very curt to make you uncomfortable, to let you know they don't want to be there, or if they're more comfortable and they want to mess with you and they don't want to answer questions, they just keep going and going and going. I'll never forget that. Dave Whalen, my man, shaking his head. He remembers back in the day on GRIB. Anyway, Mike Tomlin is actually in between that. Mike Tomlin is talking and he's saying things. He is not going into that bunker mentality. He's talking about the game like he was talking about that same game a few weeks back. That's something else coaches never do. He actually talked about this game in an interview with Tony Dungy a few weeks back. Quote, I'm going to embrace the elephant in the room. End quote. Alvy, really? You went to the elephant archive sound. Wow, bro. Congratulations. Golf clap. That's good, Alvy. You got any other animal? Yeah, give yourself a little ding, Alvy. That's one for you, Alvy. One elephant reference. He also added, not only is he going to embrace the elephant in the room, Alvin, he added that the Patriots game is, quote, going to be fireworks. Alvin, you are so good. Steve Nash was right. You are so good, Alvin. One, 1,000. Steve Nash enjoys it when Alvin gets pissed. That's how you know you're big time. Alvin not only won a state championship in high school as a point guard, Steve Nash hypes him up. Anyway, NFL coaches are so buttoned up. Based on the reaction, you would have thought that he guaranteed, Mike Tomlin, that the Steelers would wipe the floor with the Patriots when all he really said was the game was, quote, going to be fireworks. And that was a few weeks back. So now we're at the week of the game midweek of the game, and my man is still talking about it, and I love it. It's good to be in big games. It's better to be in big games than ones that nobody's watching. You know, um, we, we, better, we better be appreciative of, of this spot and not resist it in any way, but embrace it um, because this is what we've been fighting for since March. You know, to be in these type games against these type people, um, why would you fight that? Um, it's an awesome thing. Hell yes, it is. Why would you fight that? It is an awesome thing. And why aren't more coaches like that guy? Why won't more, guy, why won't more guys say that? He's right. It is an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing, and it's even more awesome when he says things like this. Good to be in the kitchen. The kitchen's in Pittsburgh, PA, this week in the National Football League and, uh, and at Heinz Field. And that's where you want to be in the middle of December. So we don't take it for granted. Hell yes, again. It's good to be in the kitchen, and the kitchen is in Pittsburgh, PA this week. 
But then again, this is the same guy who announced his arrival on Twitter four years ago by declaring, quote, hello, Twitter, expect no BS from me, just straight fire. So at that time, I was fully prepared and hyped that this guy would be absolutely annihilating fools on social media. One vicious retweet and emoji after another. Except that hasn't been the case. Not even close. But then again, considering how most NFL coaches are never going to say it's good to be in the kitchen, that's about as close to straight fire as we're ever going to get, especially ahead of a big game. Saying it's good to be in the kitchen is practically bulletin board material these days, which is so sad on so many levels. But the guy's right. It is good to be in the kitchen. The only problem is that the Patriots have been in the Steelers' kitchen and their living room and their den and their pool and their backyard and their master bedroom, pretty much wherever the hell they want. A lot. They've taken all the beer out of the fridge. They've put their feet up on the coffee tables. They have spilled food on the rugs. They've blown out their speakers. They've taken their car for joy rides. The Steelers have not been able to do a damn thing about it. New England beat Pittsburgh twice last season, including the AFC Championship game. Tom Brady is 10-2 against the Steelers in his career. He's 6-1 since Tomlin took over. And over those seven games, he's thrown for 22 touchdowns and no picks. I mean, that's about the craziest stat I've ever seen. 22 TDs and no picks against Pittsburgh. He has shredded that defense. And now they've got to go up against him without Ryan Shazier. But you know my man, Mike Mitchell. Mike Mitchell isn't backing down. Mike Mitchell isn't intimidated. Mike Mitchell is never intimidated. Quote, this is the game everybody's been waiting to see. We're going to show up and fight. Obviously, it's got a lot of history to it. I've been thinking about this game since we lost it last year. Very much look forward to playing them. Obviously, Tom Brady is the GOAT. I tip my hat to him. He is the GOAT. And for us to be the champ, we have to beat the champ. End quote. He's right. I'm going to be real. I can't wait for this game. The clock cannot spin fast enough for Sunday's kickoff. I was concerned when the Steelers stumbled slightly after Tomlin's firework comments, like they were already looking forward to that game too much, but then they found a way to win each time. Doesn't matter how it looks, they find a way to get it done. And the Patriots did lose on Monday, but that to me takes nothing away from this game. If anything, it makes them even more dangerous come Sunday. And that's saying something because once again, Tom Brady, frankly, has owned the Steelers. Not only has he been up in their kitchen, he's raided the fridge, he's left dishes in the sink for them to clean up. (laughs) Good one, Tommy. (laughs) Left the sink full of dishes that he ate off of, like that roommate everybody hates. You know, the same tool that will never pay his portion of the phone bill. (laughs) Stop it, Rome. You're killing me with that roommate smack. (laughs) Buy my recovery pajamas. (laughs) They're ceramic plated. (laughs) In fact, Rome, remember? Remember at Super Bowl when we were giving them away? Didn't you get a pair of the bottom jammies? (laughs) Tell me you didn't feel good. Weren't you sick that week? Didn't you go out one night? (laughs) Tell me. 
Tell me to my face that they didn't work. Rome, do it. <laughs> In fact, you know what? We've got a new line coming out. We're going to cut off the sleeves like Coach Belichick does, and they're going to be a recovery of sweatshirt. <laughs> Stop it, Rome. i got to focus on the game. <laughs> that kitchen stuff's incredible. <laughs> wonder how stupid this take would look on TV. <laughs> We're going to find out on January 2nd. <laughs> uh, anyway... AV 14-13 Saturday, Army is 9-3 on the season. The Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl is Army versus San Diego State. And that's December 23rd, 3.30 p.m. Eastern. We are joined by the head coach, Army West Point football, Jeff Munkin. Jeff, it is so good to have you on the program. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for the opportunity. It's great to have you on. Thanks for sharing it. Now, you've had a couple of days since you beat Navy, but does it ever get old hearing that you beat Navy? Oh, it's a, it's it's exciting. It's I'm I'm just so proud of our team and and happy for for those guys to be able to celebrate a great victory over our biggest rival for the academy. It, it means a lot to everybody here, this entire community and and uh, the faculty and staff and and certainly our cadets. And so it's fun. We're enjoying it. But you know, as as I heard you mention before uh, before we got started here, that uh, we've got the bowl game coming up, and and frankly, we're we're right back to work because. We, we, we'd like to win the next game we play, so we're excited to be able to play in the postseason and, and hoping to play our best. I certainly would expect no less. Maybe I can get you to talk about the win over Navy for a moment, then we'll look ahead to San Diego State, because you opened up the scoring with a touchdown in the first quarter, and then Navy scored 13 unanswered points before you retook the lead with just over five minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Then Navy drives. They have a chance to win the game with a field goal on the final play. I'm curious what's going through your head as they lined up for that final kick. Please miss it. Uh, right. uh, we were we were we were hoping to block it. We had a we had an all out block. Um, just ob- obviously a desperation play there needed to to keep them from scoring and and uh, try to put some pressure on him. He really he nailed the kick. It just didn't go through. It was a little bit wide left. And uh, all throughout the game, it was a battle. We we had the ball only six times all day, and. And and they, I think they had six or seven possessions, so there just weren't a lot of opportunities for us to score, and and for them too. If if you if you lost a turn, you you were uh, you were putting yourself in jeopardy of losing the game. So we uh, we battled that first drive and scored, and and it was really uh, a great feeling and a confidence booster for us to to go up seven or nothing. But as you said, they. They scored 13 points and had the lead on us, and it took a fourth-quarter drive again this year to take the lead, much like we did a year ago, and we just hung on for dear life. Their quarterback had a great game running the ball, and, and, uh, and, and we just, just did enough to, to, to make it into the victory circle. You know, one of the things that you said after the game that really struck me was, quote, there was never a moment our guys doubted we were going to win the game. When you love a group of people like I love them, I can tell when their emotions change, end quote. So what were the emotions like throughout that game? I, I, I don't know that uh, other than the, the excitement of scoring a, scoring a touchdown uh, when we did or, or getting a stop, when we did, there's 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 always that elation of of having something positive go our way. the The thing that impresses me about this group of guys, and and it, and it's been 
really the same all year long, that they never lose the, the, their confidence that, that they can win the game. It does, that doesn't mean you're going to win the game. It's just to have the confidence that we're going to find a way to, to do our job, to, to make a play, to make enough plays to win the game. And, and that was the attitude the whole way through, right, right to the last, very last play. It was, hey, we're going to block the kick. We're going we're gonna to do something here and keep this guy from, from making this field goal. And you know, we didn't block the kick, and, but fortunately you know, it just wasn't quite on the money. And, uh, and and we won the game, and but I never felt our confidence falter. I never felt like our guys standing over there with us, our guys on the field, were discouraged or concerned or uh, felt like, gosh, we're we're just not going to get it done today. They just they just kept battling, and the determination to win the game was incredible, and. The great thing about being a part of that game is that I know that the guys on the other sideline felt the same way, and so you got two teams just battling it out with 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 complete confidence that they're going to find a way to win the game, and 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 we did, and we were fortunate to win the game because that's that's a that's an outstanding team we beat, and and a very very well coached football team. Army head football coach Jeff Monk and my guest. You know, it's amazing because your perspective is so unique. The game itself is so unique. It's such a special game, but your perspective especially so because you've been on both sides of this. So how would you describe what it means to your players and to you? To win the game? To be in the game and then to win the game. Just to play that game. Just to play that game for me personally is is and, and be a part of it, be be a competitor in the game is an incredible privilege for me as as a football coach. Um, and there's some great rivalries. There there are rival not just football. I mean, there's there's people in New York City, not too far away, and Yankee fans all over around this part of the the country that would argue that that their rivalry with the Red Sox is the best rivalry in sports. And if you went to Ohio or Michigan, they would. They would argue that their Ohio State-Michigan rivalry was the best, and Oklahoma-Oklahoma State and Georgia-Georgia Tech, and you name it. I mean, everybody's got a great rivalry game, and there are some incredible rivalries out there. But this game, every play feels like the game is hanging in the balance. That That's the amount of intensity and focus that you feel out there as a competitor, it, it, it is absolutely incredible, and it, it's just a lot of fun to be a, be a part of something like that where guys are competing so fiercely. And when you pour so much into something like that, to come out victorious is 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 an incredible feeling. It's indescribable. Jeff Monken joining us for a few more moments. Got big game coming up. Now, you're in your fourth season as head coach, but when you first came back, the program was not at the level that you have it right now. In fact, before last season, there had been just one winning season since 1996. You had been an assistant at Navy. So what was it about this challenge that appealed to you so much? When we went to Navy uh, with Paul Johnson, we went there as a staff. I'd, I'd worked for Coach Johnson at at Georgia Southern for five years, and we were ultra successful. And and Coach Johnson, just a he's an incredible football coach. I have so much respect for him and and the job he's done everywhere. And 
He had been an assistant at Navy just prior to, to him taking the Georgia Southern job. And when the Navy job uh, opened up, that was the guy that they targeted and said, that, that needs to be our coach. And, and they were right. He was the right guy. And so I was fortunate enough to be able to go there with him. And when we arrived in Annapolis, the program wasn't in great shape either. Um, they had just gone... Owen, let's see, Owen 10, uh, that was the 2001 year. Um, they had gone uh, 1 and 10 the, the year prior to that. Um, just, man, it was bad. And and we went 2 and 10 our first year. It didn't look so good. But we we had a plan, and we stuck to it. And we had Paul Johnson, who's just a remarkable football coach, and and he got our guys to believe and to buy in, and we went to five straight bowl games. And I guess it was it was seeing the transformation of that program and what we were able to do through changing some of the the things that we did from a institutional standpoint uh, and things we did within the program to uh, to create a, a a culture where we could we could succeed and sustain success and really it was just coming here and taking that blueprint putting it into place and and uh and we stuck to it and fortunately we've got some great great young men here who they they love representing this academy they 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 take a tremendous amount of pride in representing the United States Army and uh, and they wanted to win. They desperately wanted to win. And so, it's been a process. But we've we've gotten the program to a point where we our kids feel like we should win. We're supposed to when we take the field. And and that's you know that that's that's the kind of team that I want to be a part of. Guys that 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 are are mentally tough and resilient and and believe that they're going to find a way to win. And I think we got the program at least to that point. Certainly right do. Certainly do, and with another great opportunity in front of you. So before I let you go, and I've got a couple of minutes, you've got San Diego State in the Armed Forces Bowl. You know they've got Rashad Penny, who rushed for more than 2,000 yards this season. How do you go about preparing to stop him? That is a great player, and uh, and that's a that's a really good question because there's been a lot of people that have tried to stop him and haven't been able to. I, I hope that we'll just be able to play very solid defense and and keep them from running the ball effectively um, as he's been able to do all year. And, and it's difficult. They, they've they got a very well-coached football team, and, and Rocky Long has been successful for so many years, multiple schools, and they're committed to running the football. And, and that's something that I really admire because we are too. They control the clock. They keep it away from other people. There's going to be limited possessions. And – They've got a great running back with a very athletic, big offensive line in front of him. It's going to be a real challenge for us. And and uh, and then they got a defense that is that, that's an unbelievable group of athletes. You watch them play, and they're they are running around and chasing people down. And and they play an option team every year, so they they've got a plan. And uh, and it, it's it's a it's a real real challenge for us, but we're excited about the opportunity to play in the postseasons. It's a it's a 
a real honor. It's one of the great rewards for college football players in their careers is to be able to play in a bowl game. And so I want our guys to enjoy it and, 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 and enjoy the experience and have fun. But we want to try to win, too. And, uh, and our guys know it's going to be a, a great challenge for us. Victor. Broadway Vic. Hey, Vic, what's up? Romy Van Snaggleworth. Rome, if it's Wednesday, that means Broadway. Hey, congrats on the new studio, man. I've got a new name we can use for the new studio. We can call it The House That Vic Built. <laughs> hey, when you got that nice new studio, did you also get the new crew that comes with it, or are you still stuck with that motley crew of characters you call a squad, man? You know, when I called yesterday, Hawk picks up, and I'm like, this is Scott in NYC. I want to crack on that fat-ass Jay Gruden. And Hawk's like, so you want to call him a fat ass? Yeah, that's fat ass, Jay Gruden. But, but like, what else is your take, man? I don't think you can just call him a fat ass. I'm going to talk about how that fat ass blew the game against the Chargers. Yeah, man, but it's not very nice to call him a fat ass. That might be appearance, Mac. I'm not sure that's going to play, man. What else is your take? It, it went on and on like that, Rome, till I was forced to break character and be like, Hawk, for Pete's sake, man, it's me, Vic. Just put me the hell on. Come on, Hawk, do I have to spell everything out for you? And then you got that other guy, Rome, my favorite, Huff Austin. You know, a couple months ago, I caught Huff Austin red-handed on Twitter, dropping likes on a bunch of tweets from Taylor Swift. Now, let me ask you this, Rome. What kind of grown man, what kind of grown-ass man follows Taylor Swift around on social media, bro? So you're a Swifty Huff? You Team Tay-Tay? Hashtag Team Tay-Tay. Dude, Ted Cruz thinks you're following some weird Twitter accounts, Huff. Rome, the NFL Coach of the Year is Sean McVay of your, that's right, I said your, Los Angeles Rams. You know, a lot of people wonder how a 31-year-old coach can come right in and just take control of an NFL locker room, and the answer is he followed my advice. On the first day of training camp, McVay went up to the biggest, baddest guy on the team, right? He went up to Aaron Donald in the cafeteria and just cracked him over the head with one of those little metal lunch trays and proceeded to beat him down with it. As he's standing over the unconscious Donald, McVeigh looks over to the linebacker's table and goes, What? Ogletree, you want some of this too? After that, it was pretty clear to everyone who the new sheriff in town was. And Rome, terrible news about Carson Wentz, man, but hey, at least it's good to hear they got my main man, Dr. James Andrews, on the case. He's going to fix him right up. As opposed to, you know, those losers, the Mike and Indy Colts, who keep sending Andrew Luck to a bunch of off-brand quacks who still haven't fixed his shoulder. I mean, what kind of quacks are the Colts sending their franchise quarterback to, man? I mean, what, did they send him to that idiot Dr. Dave in Chicago? Dr. Dave, a supposed pediatrician who can't even make it through one phone call to a radio show. Dude, I would never send my kids to Dr. Dave. I'd send my kids to Dr. Dre before I ever sent them to Dr. Dave. I'd send my kids to Dr. Kevorkian before I ever sent them to Dr. Dave. And Dave, if you have a problem with this, then grab a vine and step on up and get your head cracked. And, and speaking of medical stuff, Rome, I'd like to finish with one of life's funny little ironies. Like, isn't it ironic, don't you think, that penicillin is the name of the medicine you take when you're penicillin? No, Vic, that's not ironic at all. There's no irony in that, Vic. Nobody sees any irony in that at all. Just like nobody knew where you were going with that when you brought up the medication penicillin. 
clones. That is it for now. You know I appreciate you very much, and I appreciate the kind of words, and I appreciate the kind words about the Jim Rome podcast with Dirty John creator Christopher Gofford. If you have not caught that, Ep 17 is waiting for you right now. Three days down, three days down, two to go. Trust the podcast, and I'll be right back here tomorrow. See you then. I'm out. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love.